Hey everyone, welcome again to Sunday Rewind. This week we're going to kind of be doing a wrap up, if you will, of, of what we've been talking about with racial solidarity in Lower Town with our elders, Josh and Paul. And so as we're doing this wrap up, we're going to be really going into some definitions, some things that maybe we glanced over or kind of did a flyby. We want to make sure that we uh, dig in as deeply as we possibly can uh, in this time together. And so uh, stick around, listen to us as we continue our conversation on racial solidarity in Lower Town. All right, everyone, welcome back to Sunday Rewind. Glad you're able to join us. We are back again with Josh and Paul, and we're going to continue our conversation on racial solidarity and Lower Town. And so uh, we've been working through the ARC uh, acronym that we've gotten from Jamar Tisby and have gone through that in the last few episodes. We went through, uh, this is now our, our fifth one in this series. And what we're going to do in this one is we're going to define some things that we might have missed um, that, uh, we want to make sure that we add some clarity on certain, uh, I don't know, language terms, those kinds of things. And so, uh, just want to throw that out there. That's what we're, that's where we're headed. Uh, but I also want to just make, uh, uh, say something real quick about, about questions. Um, feel free to shoot, uh, me an email, uh, and I'll pass that along to these, these guys. And so we can work through them again. This isn't, I know it's a podcast, right? And this is not what we wanted this to necessarily be. Uh, we wanted this to actually be in person. We wanted to have dialogue on these things. Um, and so there might be something that we say, something we don't say, whatever, right? That that if you're like, hey, how come how come you worded it this way or you didn't talk about this, shoot those questions. Or you just say, oh, man, you, you mentioned this, but you kind of flew over it. I'm, I'm kind of confused on that. Shoot us uh, the questions and we'll we'll do a podcast where we kind of walk through some of those questions and uh, completely anonymous unless you don't want it to be or whatever. It's not a big deal. Uh, but just want to make sure that we have all as many questions answered as we possibly can as we continue moving forward with that. So uh, where have we been? So um, someone want to just kind of pick up here of where, where we've been and, and what we're what we're going for today. Yeah, I can pick it up. Yeah. So uh, like Brian said, uh, this is our, our wrap up podcast. So uh, we have had four podcasts so far. Uh, so we introed uh, the topic and we introed racial solidarity and we talked about why we chose the term racial solidarity. And so Paul's going to recap that for us in a little bit. And then like Brian said, we walked through uh, the arc. So we walked through awareness, we walked through relationships, and we walked through commitment. And what I really want to um, say here is that we really want to make sure that we have framed this conversation well. And so we really want to make sure that we are grounded in the Bible as we approach this topic because um, like when we're at Lower Town and we look to the back, you know, Scripture is our highest authority. So we look and that's the highest thing that we see at, at Lower Town. And so we, want, we really want to make sure that we are grounded in God's Word and that in God's Word we can see how God has a heart for all people. And, you know, even within that, like we talked about why something like Black Lives Matter is something that we can say as Lower Town. Um, so like I said, um, we're going to go back to that term racial solidarity. So uh, Paul had a really great definition, so I'm just going to let him recap that for us again. Yeah, thanks, Josh. And and yeah, as we think about solidarity, we're thinking about this as a body of believers who are are sharing in this together and thinking about what does it mean to be uh, to have racial solidarity. And so, just from MiriamWebster.com, just the idea of solidarity, the word defined as unity as of a group or a class that produces or is based on a community of interests, objectives, and standards. And that, that idea that it has a French etymology, that meaning whole sum, just all of, right? We're all in this together. And when we think about the gospel impetus for solidarity, why are we 
calling us to racial solidarity and solidarity as a body of believers. And and uh, Ephesians 4 talks about this in a really great way as Paul's kind of unpacking, the Apostle Paul's unpacking the unity and diversity of the church there in Ephesians 4. But, the, but three of the things he hits on are the, our triune God and our relationship uh, with him because of, of who he is and so that we share the same Father. And when we think about racial solidarity, we, we pursue this because we share the same Father. Secondly, because we're covered in the blood of Jesus, that Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin and brought us into a family. And thirdly, that we've received the Holy Spirit. So when we think about solidarity, we think about those things, and we think that we're in this together. And we use the illustration of a marriage, or we use the illustration of a body, that when when we have a marriage, or a family, or a body, we are we have that shared community of interests, objectives, and standards. And for us, it is the gospel, the scriptures, wanting to live lives that honor God, wanting to be fully devoted followers of him. And from that place, we pursue solidarity. And and like a body, when there's unhealth or things impacting the parts of the body in ways that are unhelpful, we want to move to see health in those areas. And so we want to have solidarity with our with everyone in our body. And um, just a, just a, can I ask one question real yeah. quick before we, we? I know we've got some scripture that we want to walk through, but um, what when you when we talk about the solidarity, we when we're talking about the body or we're talking about a marriage. Are we saying that we should be seeking solidarity with people or groups that we would disagree with? Or are we, are we talking like our body as lower town? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I appreciate you asking it. Because it does have kind of a twofold implication when we talk about racial solidarity. And the first is what we're talking about, which is that we are in the body of Christ together and specifically as Hope Lower Town. Uh, but secondarily, it means solidarity with those who don't believe, but are experiencing consequences and impact of racism in our society. And so that's a great question to ask, and and one and it helps me unpack further the definition of solidarity. So thanks for asking it, uh, because in Matthew twenty five we see Jesus explaining the final judgment, and it says, "When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne." Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another, from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And Matthew, it says, and the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And so we get this vision of, of, yeah, we're talking about, on the one hand, solidarity within our own body as Hope Lower Town and with the greater body of believers. And we talked about in the last episode, for example, the black church. But also solidarity with those who are the least of these, right? Or as Christ says, when you acted in ways that served them, 
you did it to me. Mm-hmm. That's what we see here. And so this, it is, and thank you for asking, it is a both and with this idea. And, and really the remarkable thing in that passage is Jesus says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? These people who have been made righteous by Christ are living in this righteous way to the point where they don't even realize they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Lord, when did we see you? They, they just were living that way. And he says, you were doing it to the least of these. And that's really solidarity. So it's that both hand of, of yes, within our body, but also with those uh, that are experiencing the, the consequences and impact of racism in our society with those who are marginalized, with the hungry, with the poor, etc. And that we want to work to see them have dignity and health and opportunities because they're made in God's image and because that is how we show that we have been made just right with Christ. So we demonstrate it not because not in order to be saved, but again, yeah. because we are saved. Yeah. And I think that's I mean, we we said it last last week and I I even used the same language this last week in my sermon, but talking about a totally different topic uh, on politics, but looking at this idea of the gospel in the ground and the gospel in the air, that it's it's personal. Uh, and yet it's never supposed to be private. And so we take our faith and it should motivate us to get out into the world and to seek the welfare of the city. Um, good. Josh, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. I mean, I think that that example from Matthew is really salient for us um, because as uh, as we see, um, you know, Jesus is unified with the hungry and the poor and Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, uh, to use a phrase that I heard all the time growing up, but also he's our example. So he's who we look to. And so as Paul is reading those verses, like he said, the righteous people, they are taking Jesus' example, they're following Jesus' example, and their lives reflect who he is. And they're so enmeshed in who Jesus is, and they're just following him so resolutely and so fully that they're like, wait, when did I do these things? And it's like, well, when you are obedient to Jesus, and when you take his words to heart, and when you hear him give a command and you live that out— well, that's what obedience looks like. And then all of a sudden you turn around and you're like, well, true obedience meant that I was doing these things and I didn't even notice because that's just who I've become as a person who's in Christ. Yeah, that's great. Well, let's go ahead and move on um, and just kind of recap the the awareness aspect of uh, kind of where we've been in these conversations. And so, um, yeah, I know we had some comments on that. Yeah, so in terms of awareness, um, when uh when I was trying to set the stage for what I was even going to say or even just how to approach this uh, conversation, uh, the words in, in Zechariah 7 came to me, and I was just thinking about them. And so uh, Zechariah 8 through 10 says, or 7, 8 through 10 says, And the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Almighty said, Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. And so the reality is we look at that verse, we see there's widows, we see there's foreigners, so people who are new to the country, we see that there's fatherless um, individuals. And the reality of this is that there are systemic issues in our society that advantage certain people and disadvantage other people. So even in the Old Testament times, you saw that widows were disadvantaged. You saw that people who were without fathers because they couldn't have an inheritance were disadvantaged. You know, foreigners, people who were new to a country who maybe didn't speak the language or eat the same foods or didn't share customs, they were disadvantaged. And so we see in society that there's always people on the margins and always people who are going to be on the outside looking in. There's always going to be an in-group. And that just means that we have to be aware of that. We can't blindly sit if we're in the in-group and be like, well, life is great for me. It must be great for everyone. That's not really what it's like. We have to realize that if life is great for us, then we need to look out to the margins and see, well, who is life not great for and how can we love and serve them? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that that uh, reminds me of the gleaning laws in Leviticus 19, uh, where you have this covenant people, God has this covenant people of the Israelites, and and he makes this law that they shouldn't harvest everything. If some things are remaining from the harvest, they're not supposed to pick those up. They're supposed to leave those behind for those people on the margins to be able to avail themselves of it. And why did God do that? Why did God make that the case? Why didn't he say, oh, just, yeah, pick them up and harvest everything? You think about that. And one of the things to build off what you're saying, Josh, is one of the reasons why he did that is to remind the Israelites that they belong to each other. And we could think about that in two lenses. In the church, we belong to each other, but also as human beings. That God has made every single human being in his image. And so when we come across those awarenesses of different disadvantages that people might have, we can say, well, it really would reflect the character of God to care for them as well. Yeah, and I think even the Leviticus one, and even just everything you guys have just said, I think there's a part of, um, I don't know, maybe maybe hearing this, I mean, because again, some, some of these things that we've talked about, it's hard for me. I've got I've to check my heart um, and, and my own prejudices at the door, and just not to the door, I've got to repent of it. Um, and, and I think part of it though, is like looking at the Leviticus passage, God's not mad at the field owner who has the means to harvest a lot of food and then leave some for the poor, right? He's saying, take care of the poor. And I think sometimes people are like, oh man, this is, I feel like I'm being attacked right now. No, it's, that's not the case right now. And we're, we're going to give some definitions right now. And, and this is, I'm telling you right now, there are things that may make people uncomfortable and that's okay. Um, this isn't supposed to be comfortable. And I think that anytime the Holy Spirit points out sin in people's lives, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, um, and, and that's okay. And we need to be able to be uncomfortable and repent and, and learn. Um, so uh, I know you want to say something here too about the... Oh, I was just with that. You really set me up. That's such a great idea. And we, we've been laughing and kind of joking about throughout the series on the podcast here. Uh, of Anthony Bradley, a, a great follow on Twitter, by the way. Go follow him. Phenomenal uh, Twitter follow. Uh, Dr. Anthony Bradley, to, he's at Twitter? King's College, and he does work with Redeemer, Tim Keller's Church in New York City. But he has a phrase, read like an adult. And we, we've been laughing about it, and yet we also, there's sincerity to it, right? Yeah. There's a lot of truth in jest. And, and it is that we can take in hard information, we can process through it. We discern it through the scriptures and in community and in conversation. And we can read like an adult. We can learn things that we didn't know before. We can, for example, we'll talk about some historical stuff, or we have in, in the previous episodes, that we have not learned that history before, and yet it's true. Mm-hmm. And so we can learn these things like an adult, and we can be mature in our thinking. Um, and yes, that involves discernment, but it also involves receptivity and humility. Yeah, and I, I, again, I, I read like an adult. It's just a, it is kind of a, a silly phrase, but at the same time, it, there's a lot going into that. I mean, I, I think of the fact that you know Paul and I we teach a systematic theology class. We use Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. We use that book because it's probably the best introduction to systematic theology that I've been able to find that we can teach from a reform perspective. And yet, I don't agree with everything that Grudem says. And yet, it's my textbook, right? I can mm-hmm. I can still use that. And and discern and teach, um, and that and that's how it that's how it should be again because scripture is my highest authority, right? Um, and and I can I can listen to guys like R.C. Sproul, you know, and I know he's he's not he's he he's dead, <laughs> but but sorry, I was trying to come up with like a, a softer way of saying that, <laughs> yeah, but no, he's uh, he's no uh, longer he's with no us. longer with us. 
Um, but but RC, glory. as much as I loved that guy and respected him, he actually wouldn't allow to be a member of my own church, right? Just because of some different theological perspectives. And that doesn't mean that he's wrong or it doesn't mean that he's evil. Um, that just means, hey, I'm going to take a lot of what RC said and, I, and I'm going to drink it up. But there's other things I'm going to go, man, dude, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not drinking that Kool-Aid you're, you're, you're pouring out. So um, again, I think that's just part of that reading like an adult that we have to discern. And again, the highest authority is that scripture. Um, and so I would be able to sit down in a room with RC and say, hey, I disagree with you on certain things. One other thing on that note before we move on here is that when it comes to not just theologians, anybody, anybody, that when you when somebody says something or says a phrase, it they cannot explain and unpack all of their theology every time you ask them a certain question. I remember doing that to one of my professors in seminary one time of like, and I don't remember the context, but I remember just saying, oh, then you don't believe blah, blah, blah. And he just, you know, in a Christ-like way, ripped me a new one uh, in the sense of like, you don't know what you're talking. You, you Have you talked to me about this? Have we? Have I had a chance to explain my position? I think it was on on maybe like violence or self-defense or something like that. And uh, and he, or just war, maybe that's what it was. And and he was like, whoa, 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 we're not even talking about that right now. And you and your mind kind of connected all these dots and that's not what we're talking about. And so we just got to be careful to be patient, listen, learn, and filter things through scripture um, and know that we can't say everything all at once, all the time. Speaking of that, let's get into some definitions here. Just going to uh, kind of help us, and then I can jump into on, on some definitions that we either have brought up or are helpful to continue to guide this discussion. Definitely. Uh, and so before I get into these definitions, uh, like Brian said, um, we are open to your questions. We're open to your concerns, your comments, your queries. We really want to hear your feedback. And so even with these definitions, if there's something that you hear that maybe you've never heard before, maybe you disagree with, or maybe you you think you have a different definition, go ahead and share that with us. And, you know, even, you know, in a question form or even just in the comment form so that we can dialogue about it because that's important and we want this to be a, a real exchange of ideas. And so we're going to kick it off uh, with defining racism. Um, so racism is something that um, pervades our society. It's something that we've discussed um, in this podcast, and it's something that is ever-present in society. And so um, I always bring this up. I'm a social worker. Um, so a lot of how I view things is through um, a social work lens um, because I was trained as a social worker. Um, and so um, a definition of racism is power plus privilege plus, plus prejudice. Um, and so when I say that, um, I want to make this note that all people are and can be prejudiced. Um, but when we talk about racism, it has a power component to it. So people benefit from racism in the United States specifically. Um, there's certain people who have benefited from racism. So that's why we add the power and privilege and pre prejudice. So everyone can be prejudiced, but when that prejudice benefits you and you have the power and privilege to benefit from that prejudice, that's when it becomes racism. Yeah, that's that's good. I think it's a, that's a really succinct definition of, of a complicated issue, obviously. There's a lot more that could be said about that. But even again, looking through Scripture, how many times every single nation and ethnic group all throughout Scripture they said, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm privileged. I've got power, right? And then, and then they've, they've, there's a conquering group, be that the Israelites, be that the Canaanites, the Mesopotamians, or the Egyptians, or the Romans. I mean, they just fill in the blank, right? And then all of a sudden, they're now superior. Uh, even when the Romans were in charge, the Israelites, and we're going to talk about this more next week, but the Israelites had a huge issue with the, Samar with the uh, Sumerians. Um, and that's, I think that's, that's a key, key point that you, that you mentioned that with that. That's a good definition. 
And our, our next definition is white supremacy. Uh, so white supremacy is the belief that white people constitute a superior race and should therefore dominate society, typically to the exclusion or detriment of other racial and ethnic groups, and in American context, in particular, black or Jewish people. And so when we think about white supremacy, it's something that's really um, pervaded American society, and it's ever-present in our current society. Um, and so ex some examples of white supremacy, some of these are more innocuous than others. Think of something like Band-Aids. Like if you see a flesh-colored Band-Aid, that's a certain color. And it's not the color of skin of everyone, but it's a certain color. Um, something like American English versus American African-American vernacular. Right? Even when people talk about speaking or talking in proper English. Mm -hmm. There's a standard of English that has been defined in America that is seen as the standard and that's seen as what's acceptable, and other people's English is seen as unacceptable. Yeah. You're um, very literate. You're yeah. very clear. Like yeah. when people tell me I'm very you know, well-spoken or well-read, it's mm -hmm. like, well, do you mean that I sound more like you, or do mm -hmm. you actually mean that I am literate and well-read? Like what mm -hmm. is the context of what you're telling me? Mm -hmm. um, think about something like birtherism. So the fact that you know certain politicians who don't look like the typical American politician, their right to be president or vice president or to serve is questioned. And it's like it's because of the color of their skin. It's because they don't look like the past you know, 43 presidents. Um, think about, you know, when you hear things like go back where you come from, that's something that I heard as a kid, the idea that certain people belong in America and certain people don't belong in America, mm -hmm. you know, that's white supremacy. Mm -hmm. Also thinking about white as being the standard of beauty. I mean, think about Disney princesses. How long did it take before there was a non-white Disney princess? Mm -hmm. So these are all things that are um, examples of white supremacy. And like I said, some of them are more innocuous than others. You wouldn't really think about it. And some of them are more, you know, evil and really just outright terrible that you see. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. I think, At least I know in my mind when I hear the phrase or read the phrase white supremacy, I'm automatically thinking of the Ku Klux Klan or I'm thinking of, you know, Nazis or neo-Nazis and all this stuff. Right. And I think that's where people go, like their minds go. Um, which is, that's true. That's definitely white supremacy. Um, <clears throat> but there's the other things that I'm also, that I take part of, or I'm in, now, am I, do I own Band-Aids? No, I don't. Uh, is there something I can, uh, no, I mean, like, I don't own the company. Sorry, oh, I, I do. Was like, uh, yeah, I have, I have two small a, boys. I definitely kind of own a lot of Band-Aids. Wave it in the air till it's good. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and, and yet, though, but that, there's there's aspects of that, to like what you just said, of like, that's that that also is an idea of white supremacy. Um, and then I get, you know, and that's where we want to try to ask, okay, what, what can we do? How can we help? Does that mean we, we boycott Band-Aid? No, I don't think that's the, that's the case. It's all we're talking about. I think it's, again, we're becoming more aware of the different things that are going on that I've never had to think about. Again, I've got boys, but Disney princesses, it's never once crossed my mind, right? I've never once had to think about, um, you know, the, the Avengers and then finally Black Panther came out and how cool, right? And I, and I, I remember reading articles when Black Panther came out. And, and it was like, this is, you know, mainly, you know, African-American, you know, African, um, completely run, uh, acted movie. And I remember I had even a friend of mine been like, man, that, that, I can't believe that's, that's racist. Like, it's all about them. And it's like, what do you, every other movie has been all white. Like, what are you talking about? So I think it's just that aspect of that. That's that white supremacy of like, it's, everything's got to be, what's the phrase like whitewashed? Am I using that right? That every it's everything's kind of painted over white. Okay. Well, maybe not. Just, maybe I made that up. It's, right. No, 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 it's, no. Okay. that's a phrase. I, I immediately know how go you're to using it. <laughs> Jesus talking about whitewashed tombs. I think more about it's that it's the standard of beauty. It's the standard of excellence. It's what people see as being right and good and true, which is just not the case. And just to add to that, 
go back where you came from. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, we that phrase can go back to the pit of hell. Yeah. Because here's the deal. God is in the business of reconciling sinners from every tribe, tongue, nation, and creed to himself. And he's the one that changes hearts. So we are, if there's a go back to where you came from, it's actually the presence of God in the Garden of Eden. But we're going f- where we come from. We're actually going to the presence of Jesus in the new city that's coming in Revelation 21 and 22. But that phrase can take a hike because we are a diverse body of believers. We don't tell anyone to go back where we come from. We're all exiles and refugees when we really think about it. And so I just want to send that phrase pack in. And sorry, I got a little animated here. <laughs> no, it's good, man. It's good. I had to do it. It's um, good. Yeah, and I think, as Brian said, um, you know, the thing with white supremacy is that it can be insidious. It can be innocuous. It's something that you don't really like think of as bad. So it's like, if like this is your standard, and if whiteness is always the standard, then it's like, well, like you don't really see it as an issue until you realize that that means that something is being held up as the standard, and something that's being held up as this is what everything compares to, and this is what society should aspire to. And that's just not the case. And so I think when we talk about white supremacy, like Brian said, there's the out white, you know, white supremacists who are, you know, on their corners of the internet doing whatever. But then there's just the ways that it's baked into American society and how we view things as, oh, this is how things are in America. And it's like, well, no, this is this is how things might be in white America, but white America isn't all of America and it doesn't mm-hmm. represent the full beauty of America. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Let's keep going here. Uh, so uh, let's look talk about just the definition of uh, systemic racism. Yeah, uh, so systemic racism. Uh, so uh, one of the best uh, definitions that I could find from for systemic racism comes from Albert Moeller. So he's a professor, he's a pastor, he's a theologian. And uh, he defines it as this. Sin corrupts every institution and every system because, one way or another, sinful human beings are involved. This means that laws, policies, habits, and customs are corrupted by sin. And so when we talk about, you know, sin, um, we've said sin isn't just something that's individual. Like we live in a fallen world and, you know, as people with reformed theology, we think of total depravity and other things. Um, but we live in a fallen world and we are broken and we are sinful and we are fallen individuals. We participate in systems, we participate in laws, we develop policies. And these policies, because we are sinful and we are enacting these policies and because we are creating these policies, they are corrupted by sin. So we can't just divorce it and say, I'm a sinful individual, but my sin doesn't extend to the corporate or doesn't extend to the macro. No, because we are sinners, everything that we touch is corrupted by sin. Yeah, we get this beautiful picture of that actually in the beginning of Paul's letter to the Galatians, and he, this is the beauty of Paul. He actually, in all of his letters, he starts with greetings, except basically in Galatians, he just immediately downloads and questions their salvation. Uh, no, he, <laughs> he doesn't question their salvation, but he really does show them how serious things are when we miss the gospel. And, and what he says about the gospel is that Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age right there in chapter one of Galatians. And so in that, we have individual and corporate elements, right? When we think about this, that Christ gave himself for our sins. Paul in chapter two is going to say, he loved me and gave himself for me. That ultimately salvation does come down to an individual in the sense that I was the one standing in the dock before the judgment seat of God until Christ took my place on the cross. But also it's our sins. It's corporate, and it's to rescue us from this present evil age that that sin has infected 
every part of our society because it's infected every, our hearts. Mm-hmm. And so that's, we see kind of that, that global aspect as well. We really want to touch on that as well. And that's when we talk about systemic racism, we're pointing out that there's sin that corrupts beyond just the individual heart, but into systems, structures, and institutions. Yeah. And, and obviously this is, and I mentioned this last week, but I'm going to reiterate it of like, this is still true in the church. And, and I love that quote from, from Al Mohler in the sense of, or Albert Mohler, uh, that he, in the sense that when he's talking about sin and yes, total depravity, I'm, I'm reformed. I believe that I am totally depraved. I'm not utterly depraved. That doesn't mean I'm as sinful as I possibly could be at all the time, but everything that I do is tainted by sin. I mean, everything. And so even though I'm a, I'm a pastor or I'm a, you know, a full-time, you know, employee of a church or whatever, like I get, I get paid to, to do this and study the scripture, I'm still sinful. And there are decisions that I do, and there are even motivations in what I preach and how I preach that still come from the pit of hell. And I have to be cognizant of that, even in my own heart. And that obviously then was true just within the church of looking at um, uh, how, how, let me, I'll give you, I'll give you something for my lifetime. Okay. This is going to, this is going to make people's stomach turn, but this is, this is what, what I had to go through growing up and not go through. I had to watch other people go through this, I should say. We had this uh, ministry, and this was in Illinois. We were in a suburb of Chicago, and this would have been 2003, 2004. I uh, graduated in high school in 04. And we had what was called the bus ministry. You guys ever heard of the bus ministry before? What would happen with these upper middle class white churches is because they felt bad for um, underprivileged uh, African American kids. And so what they would do is they would take buses, send them downtown. And pick up uh, people of color, get them on the bus, and they would come into the church. None of those kids, they were all my age, not one of them was allowed to go to my youth group. They had their own youth group, okay? They weren't allowed to mix and mingle with us, normal suburban kids. They sat up in the balcony. There was a roped-off area where they were allowed to sit. And if, they, and if any of those kids tried to get out and move into just the normal seating area, they were ushered back in, right? That's that's sin, right? That there's no need for that whatsoever. And and I saw that, and 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 all of my friends saw that happening. And yet we were just so naive to everything. I don't even think about it. It's like, oh, hey, great, these kids are hearing the gospel. That's fantastic. And it just isn't uh, isn't isn't the case. So I just wanted to mention that. Uh, next definition that we have. Uh, or, can I? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Can Please. I just touch on one more thing? Yeah. Uh, this is something that I think we've probably said every single podcast. Um, but. Systemic racism, it exists. But just because systemic racism exists, it doesn't mean that racism also isn't an individual act. Yes. So it can be both things. But we're saying that if we just reduce racism to individual acts, we're not going to be able to to really right some of the wrongs that we see in a biblical manner. Because if we reduce it to the individual, we're going to ignore how the racism baked into our systems and societies will continue to influence um, what we see in America. So it's both. Racism is individual. It exists in individual hearts and it's evil, but it also exists on a systemic level and it's baked into systems. And we need to address both with the truth of the gospel to really move forward in solidarity as lower town Christians, as American Christians, just be able to move forward. We have to address both. Yeah, that's great. Uh, next, next word that we want to just talk about definition wise is, is woke. Wow. This is, uh, this is quite the word. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to give the definition, the original definition of woke. Uh, so the original definition simply means alert to injustice in society, especially racism. 
Um, and then um, from a book that I really love by Dr. Eric Mason called Woke Church, uh, he says the concept of being woke. woke. Uh, so being woke is being truly woke is rooted in Christ consciousness. A Christ consciousness elevates our awareness to our responsibility to care for and love for our brothers, even those who don't look like us. And so when we see the concept of being woke, um, it's often derided and it's often like pejorative. So it's like this negative, like slang term that we see in a lot of circles and even in Christian circles. And I think this distorts both the original meaning of the term, which is just being alert to injustice in society with a specific focus of racism, but also our responsibility as Christians. And so if we just see that word and if we just like, you know, if we just laugh, oh, you know, look at those woke people and we, we turn it into some sort of slur, we're missing what that word really means and we're missing a chance to enter into a conversation in an arena as Christians with the truth of the gospel to care for our brothers and sisters, even if they don't look like us. Yeah, that's really well said. And uh, yeah, that this is not a pejorative. It's being aware uh, with a gospel lens to injustices. And, and when we go back to that Matthew 25 passage again, when did we see you? And Jesus is just like, you were doing it. You were doing it. And this is this idea of I played baseball for a long time, and I ultimately ended up in the outfield. I was a catcher for the most part, but uh, I played some infield. And when you're playing in the infield and the pitcher's in the windup about to throw the pitch, the thing you got to do, because anything might happen as soon as that batter gets the chance to hit the ball, you got to be in the ready position. So you put your glove down, you're kind of ready to move left or right. And for believers, being woke just means being in the ready position to do justice. It's that we've gained awareness of our context of our society, of our history, and of the people around us, and we're in a ready position to do justice. And again, because we have been shown mercy in Christ, that in Matthew 25, these people are living in righteousness because they have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. And so we, we become these people who are merciful because we've received mercy. And I just want to add to that uh, right now, as we and we've talked about this previously, but when we're talking about gaining awareness— one of the things we know about knowledge is knowledge puffs up. And when we take new knowledge and we learn about these things, we have to be cautious, not to wield those things like a hammer, but to shepherd people in love. And maybe just so when we think about it, that might look like advocating, that might look like conversations with family, that might look like uh, sharing things one-on-one in settings with friends and others, it might look like saying a different comment in your small group than you maybe would have made just to highlight something. But when you do that, you're doing it in love because you want to win people to Christ and help them see justice in a holistic gospel lens. We're not doing it to drop hammers on people. We're not doing it to make points that that are at their detriment. We want them to grow in the same way we continue to grow. And so one way to think about that that might be helpful is just when you have these kinds of conversations with people, are you praying for them more than you're arguing with them in your head? In your head, are you praying for someone more than you're arguing with them? Or are you thinking about that person and just getting more frustrated, more bitter, more hostile? And obviously, there's a lot of nuance into these kinds of conversations. But as we gain awareness, we want to harness it in love. And that looks like not wielding it as a hammer, but it also looks like applying it in action. That's great. All right, next one. This is going to be a fun one uh, in the sense of white, <laughs> white privilege. Uh, so let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, so white privilege. Uh, so this refers to the phenomenon in which white people receive certain societal benefits that they did not earn. Benefits they receive um, by default simply for being white. 
And that uh, definition is from Dr. Kelly Hamron. Uh, she has some wonderful articles, so Google her name. Uh, she's got a lot of great articles on a lot of topics that we've discussed and just some other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we look at you know white privilege, but we just take a step back and we look at privilege as a whole. Um, so just that idea that some people receive certain benefits that they did not earn by default and through nothing that they did. Mm-hmm. And so you know it's not something that um, automatically has to be like this guilt thing. It's just a reality and, and, and just a recognition that in society, some people gain benefits and they didn't earn those benefits and they receive those benefits just because of who they are. And because of that, because of the benefits that they've received, that's going to affect the way that they look at life and that's going to affect the way that they move through life. Like I said, it's not something to be guilty about. It's just something to be cognizant of. Yeah, no, I think that's good. I mean, think about even just uh, when you talk about those privileges of like being born into a family that's wealthy or whatever it may be, that's not that kid's fault that he was, that his dad is a CEO of uh, my one of my neighbors uh, owns Old Dutch potato chips. Uh, they've got a quite quite the mansion down the street. It's not if they have kids, I don't know if they do or not. But it's that, that's not that kid's fault. He, but it, just being aware of that sense of like, oh yeah, I did benefit from this, and I had nothing to do with it. Yeah, and I think when uh, just to jump in, and I've had conversations with many people on this, and one of the pushbacks is like, well, then are you saying I didn't work hard? Well, first of all, we're people of grace, right? Our salvation was a gift. Um, And so we don't need to think in merit-based terms all the time. But also, no, that's not the implication. You could still have worked hard and yet also had access and opportunities that you didn't have Mm -hmm. or that that you had that other people haven't had that same opportunity to have, especially when we consider our historical context that even home ownership, access to loans, you might have had where others didn't. And those are some of the things that we've talked about. Yeah. In other episodes, yeah. but and and it doesn't necessarily mean that just because someone's born white means that everything's going to be their life's going to be peachy, perfect, and clean. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, right? But we're talking about the majority of of Americans that do fall into that category. Um, I mean, even even for me, being born into a home, uh, my mom didn't work because she, she didn't need to. Um, even my dad was a pastor, right? I mean, we were like, and when you talk about like poor, we were poor. But yet we had everything we needed and we owned a house and I could get toys and you know what I mean? Like I don't, I, you know, that, and that's, that's privilege, right? All right. So one more thing I do want to, I want to add to this idea of, of privilege is just the idea of Ephesians 2. And we're talking about, again, if scripture is my highest authority, I got to look at even my own salvation, right? Did I do anything to earn my salvation, right? The answer is no. That's that's a that's a privilege in the sense of just being born into the family of God that He has chosen me, He has adopted me, uh, and I simply get to be the beneficiary of the finished work of Christ. Amen. And that doesn't. Preach. And again, that do I do I feel guilty about that? No. And and actually, when we get, man, we get into Romans, we can start talking about how how Paul says, well, what about the Israelites? They were given everything, right? They had every opportunity. They were given the law, right? And it says, well, were they were they worse off? And he says, no, they were better off in every way, right? That's that's a privilege simply based on their ethnicity. It's not negative. It's just saying, let's be aware of this. But then again, they missed the boat in the sense that they didn't share their faith the way that they should have been. And we, and we do the same thing. So that's all. I just wanted to make sure we added that. All right, next one, uh, next word here that we're going to talk about is, is reparations. And this is, like, I mean, all these are kind of just, we need to unpack all these. So reparations, let's talk about that. Yeah, uh, so reparations can be defined as the making of amends for a wrong one is done by paying money to or otherwise helping those who have been wronged. 
And so reparations is something that has been in um, in our ears recently. So we've heard people talk about reparations, and there's been talk of reparations. You know, there was, uh, you know, there have been articles. You know, Tony E. C. Coates has an article about reparations. John McWhorter has an article about reparations. So it's something that we hear about. And oftentimes, when we hear about reparations, it's often framed in terms of I didn't do this personally or people today didn't experience this. And when we're talking about this, we're usually talking about slavery. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of boils down to, well, why are reparations necessary? Um, and so um, Tabidi Anwabile has a good definition, and he expounds further on why um, reparations you know, are a thing and, and why we should consider them. And he says, I would define reparations as material and social repayment made as acknowledgement and restitution by an offending party to an aggrieved party for wrong or wrongs done in order to repair the injuries, losses, and or disadvantages caused by the wrong. And we have to look at that disadvantages caused by the wrong. And so if we look at American society and if we look at our history, history, we realize that, you know, for hundreds of years in American history, certain people have been advantaged and it's been white people and certain people, you know, people of color, so black people, American, um, Native Americans, you know, Asian Americans, to some extent, they've been disadvantaged. And so we have to look at the disadvantages that have been caused by the wrongs of racism, by prejudice, by Jim Crow laws, by all of these things. We have to look at, um, we have to look at these disadvantages and thinking about how we can repair the injuries and the wrongs that have been made and, and think about reparations in terms of that. And like, you know, Paul said, he touched on something like homeownership. You know, if homeownership is the, the best way to pass down generational wealth, and, you know, a large segment of American society was barred from homeownership home or wasn't allowed to own homes, you know, that's a historical wrong that has been done that has, you know, continued to disadvantage people until today. And so we have to look at that and consider that and not think about it in terms of what I did personally, but thinking about it in terms of in terms of historical context of what happened in American society. Right. Absolutely. And this is a biblical concept. We can't miss that. This is a biblical concept, the idea of making amends for a wrong one has done. And God puts this all over the Old Testament and he puts it in the New Testament, and one of the most brilliant passages in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus and Zacchaeus, right? And we have this rich man, Zacchaeus, who's living in an unjust way. He's advantaging himself at the expense of others. And he, Jesus says, hey, man, come down. I'm coming. I'll stay at your house. And Zacchaeus receives Christ as Savior. And what sing does it. he you do? you got to sing the song. I don't know the song. Oh, I didn't grow up a believer. Zacchaeus <laughs> receives Christ as Savior. And he immediately turns around, and it says in verse 8 of Luke 19, Behold, Lord. It says, And Zacchaeus set, stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And it's only after that does Jesus actually say, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. He's, he's seeing that not only is Zacchaeus justified in his heart, but he's showing it in his actions, that he's going to, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And when we talk about societally, that African Americans and, as Josh mentioned, indigenous American Indians and, and Asian Americans and others have been at disadvantaged and defrauded by systemic racism in our society. Housing being a great example. And so when we see that, we have to be opposed to that. 
we see it on the individual level with Zacchaeus, but we can think about it also on a societal level that restoration and, and the undoing of injustices is a valid biblical concept, and we have to be on board with it. Yes, let me let me just throw a question out there that I think. I mean, if I was listening to this podcast, uh, which I am, uh, Meta, um, that I would I would ask. But again, but the example that you gave of Zacchaeus, he is the one that defrauded him. He personally was responsible in that sense, right? So yeah, it would make sense that he would have to go pay reparations. What about the people that would say, "Up, oh, I'm sitting here. I understand that there are systemic issues that have happened." But now we're talking about reparations, and again, that Josh, you kind of you kind of mentioned that of like, well, I, I didn't do this personally, um, and and people that I know uh, of color did not experience slavery, so why do I owe them anything? Um, if that makes sense, like, so or maybe maybe the question that I'm trying to ask is like, what are some steps that we should that we should try to do when it comes to reparations? If that makes sense. Well, I think about it in terms of a historical sense, so. You can say, you know, I didn't do this personally, mm-hmm. or, you know, my friend didn't suffer this personally. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you're still benefiting something from mm-hmm. something that happened, mm-hmm. you're still, at, like, you, you do have a little bit of culpability in that you're benefiting from it. And if somebody is disadvantaged from it, they're still d- being disadvantaged from it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it didn't happen, you know, in your lifetime, but you're still reaping the benefits of what happened. And that benefit is causing a wedge, and it's causing you to continue to be further privileged. It's causing people to continue to be further underprivileged and to be further marginalized. And I think we have to recognize that. And we go back to the example of Christ, where we don't consider equality with God like Christ did, something to be grasped. Where we don't hold on to our privileges, we don't hold on to the things that we have, we don't hold on to those things too lightly. Because ultimately, it comes down to a heart issue of saying, like, I recognize my position and I see that, you know what? I have been privileged enough to benefit from this. And I'm not going to hold on to that privilege and I'm not going to hold on to that benefit too le- too too tightly. Instead, I'm going to take the example of Christ and humble myself and say, you know what? I've benefited from this, but at the same time, that's not going to define me. I'm not going to hold on to that and I'm not going to to have that be my anchor or have that be what defines me ultimately. Mm-hmm. Did that answer your question? Yeah, no, it, it it does, and I and I'm and I'm totally agree with you. I just I'm I'm think maybe I'm, I'm thinking more in the lines of like what what are what can I do? What are the reparations that I could do today, in that sense, right? Because I don't think we're saying I should sell my house, right? That's not what we're saying. And I should give it to somebody that's unprivileged uh, for for free, right? right? I know that's not what we're saying, right? Right. So no, it's a good, it's a really good question. I think again to point out the historical context, maybe by way of analogy. When If you start to build a house and there's issues right away with the foundation, but you never address them, and you end up with a big house, and you've got this beautiful house, but you never address the issues at the foundation, that house is actually in danger, right? And with, when we think about reparations, we're thinking about things have been built where, some, where there's danger because people have been wronged at the advantage of others. But now, how do we bring that down to a personal level? Or, or if I'm thinking about us as a body, right? Well, we walk through the commitment piece. We can, when we become people of justice, we start living for the equity of others. Uh, let me give an example. So when we moved in, when we bought our house, the process for us was very easy, incredibly easy. We we had networks of people uh, that were we could easily connect with. Uh, we had friends and relationships. We were white. The loan was easy. Everything worked out really nicely. But then you again, as we've mentioned multiple times, home ownership 
has been blocked for by people uh, for black people, for example. They w- haven't been able to get mortgages as securely. Uh, they possibly uh, weren't able to get a mortgage at all because of the color of their skin. And so what could I do then individually to fight that? Well, maybe there's things that I could do to help make people get people networked in the same networks that I did, that I have. Could I make some connections with some friends? Could I encourage those people in my life that I was able to know, uh, hey, maybe you would like to leverage some of your access and opportunities. You have a gift. You know how to help people buy homes. Would you be interested in serving underprivileged communities and helping them learn how to buy homes? And that's not paternalism. That's just love. Act it mm-hmm. out. That's, mm-hmm. that's, I, I've been given an access and an opportunity, and as Josh mentioned, that I'm not going to grasp onto, but I've been blessed to be a blessing. And that one way I can do that is to work for the equity of... Uh, in for others as well. So I can look at the things that I've been equipped with and blessed with and not hold on to those as just my own, but say, man, who hasn't had these same access, these same opportunities? And how could I leverage that privilege in order to serve them as well, that they could also experience these kinds of things? And I think back to our our conversation last week in terms of commitment, you know, and encouraging people to be, you know, civically minded, civically engaged, mm-hmm. you know, we have the ability to, you know, vote and we have the ability to, to address these things through our votes and through, you know, electing people who are committed to changing the policies and structures that are in place that, you know, disadvantage, you know, black people specifically when it comes to home ownership. And that's a, another reason why it's important to be civically minded and civically engaged because, you know, as we look to, you know, repair historical wrongs to right historical wrongs, we have to be engaged fully in, you know, in our society. And we can't just leave certain parts of, you know, the American society and and just ignore certain spheres of society. No, we need to engage fully and say, okay, this is going to be a holistic, um, I'm going to enter into this holistically with the word of God and with the gospel. And I'm not just going to, you know, say, okay, this, this portion doesn't need the gospel. We're not going to, we're not going to roll with two kingdoms. We're going to say, no, God is God and he has his word and his word is going to address and it's going to transform all areas of American society. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I think like you mentioned, just the commitment side of things of like, would that be the warrant resolution day that we'll for sure going to be trying to do? Um, and then just partner ministries uh, right in our neighborhood, literally right in our building that we meet in in St. Paul of like, how can we help them out financially? How can we help them out with, with food? Uh, how can we help them out with all these different aspects? And so I think that's, that's a big part of it. So Great. Um, another one here is uh, anti-racism. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So uh, anti-racism, it's being opposed to racism. And so we talked about this uh, in our last episode, but uh, we need to take a stand against sin and boldly declare that it has no place in our lives on an individual level, and then it has no place in the body of Christ on a corporate level. So the term anti-racism, you know, I am against sin. I am anti-sin. Yeah. I am <laughs> killing sin through the power of the Holy Spirit and through God. And in the same way, racism is a sin. So I'm anti-racism and I'm going to work to address racism. I'm going to work to bring biblical solutions to the issue and to the sinfulness of racism. And I'm going to stand boldly and say, racism has no place in our lives individually and in our lives as a body corporately. So we're going to be anti-racism. That's all the definitions. Yeah. Great. We did some learning today. (laughs) 
And so I think we gave all of those definitions. And as we look at those definitions and as we look at those terms, you know, as we recap our, our podcast series, uh, something that I really want to come back to and I really want to hone in on, um, when we think about, you know, systemic racism and we think about those myths that, ex- those myths that exist surrounding uh, systemic racism, I think we need to reiterate this. See, if we pathologize people and if we buy into myths like black fatherlessness, black on black crime, welfare stereotypes, we're not, we're not furthering the conversation. We're not advancing the conversation. We need to address these things and these falsehoods in a biblical manner. And we can't, you know, like Paul said, we don't want to be paternalistic and just, you know, pathologize people and say, oh, look at those people over there who have those issues. No, this, that's racism. It doesn't help the conversation. It doesn't further the conversation. So we need to address those myths with the truth of the gospel. You know, what, what God says, who we are, and we can't just be comfortable in saying those people over there have those issues. No, that's not how it works. As a body in solidarity, we are not going to do that. Yeah, we talked about, too, then uh, kind of continuing on and, and just unpacking where we've been in the podcast, just history and knowing our history. Uh, and so some of the things we've talked about, we talked about uh, problems that are existing in society uh, and, and seeing that these problems have existed for hundreds of years, that, we, that what we are facing today and some of the different things that we're talking about today were not born out of nowhere. They didn't happen in a vacuum. That, that, and, and this is where we, and we have in the ARC document uh, just a, a black American history. And this is just black and American history where you can look through and go through. And I, this is not by any means a complete list. Um, but you'll see, and I, it's been shared on our social media before, uh, just a list of different events and people and incidents and accomplishments and just all kinds of different things that that give us a lens and a view into history that we maybe haven't had before. And then we talked about moving from uh, awareness to relationships and, and how key that is, that that we can't just remain in uh, awareness, that we also need to have that personal and connected relationships with people, that we want to have integrated relationships, that we want to have relationships with people who disagree with us, who are um, maybe have different views than us, but also, and, more, and relevant to this conversation, who have different ethnicities than we do, because they're going to be able to see things from angles we haven't, but they're also going to give us that personal stake that when issues of injustice come up and we have awareness, not only do we now have awareness, but we have people that we think of, that we care for, that we reach out to, and that we want to be taking action on behalf of. And as we, uh, as we talk about uh, awareness and moving into relationships, you know, that desire can exist for us to fall back into that mindset of saying, okay, like, you know, like, I see that community over there, and, you know, we're already othering the community, and, you know, and our hearts are saying, like, you know, I have... Um, I have the solution and I know, I know what they need. Um, and I think it's important for us as, as we take this journey and as this is a learning experience and a process, um, just that reminder that, you know, we don't speak into a community until we've served a community. 
And so until we've lived in, until we've worked in, until we've served, until we have a relationship with the community, we're, we're not qualified to speak into mm -hmm. it. And so we really need to be humble and take a step back and not, you know, dive in with all of the solutions. We need to take the humble posture of a learner and say, I need to learn and I need to, you know, just sit under some teaching right now. And instead of coming in with solutions, I'm going to be humble enough to say, you know what, I don't know about this community. I'm going to learn and I'm going to serve and then I'm going to work together in solidarity um, with these people who are wonderful and beautifully and, and fearfully made and who are image bearers and we're going to come along in solidarity and move forward in the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I, and I think that's, it's so easy, I think, especially, I don't know, I think it, just in my, in my shoes, I, obviously I can't speak for everybody, but as a, as a pastor or as a, I'm not a theologian, but you can maybe, maybe you could throw that label at me, but that it's so easy for me sometimes to like, oh, I, I know what I should do here. Right. And, and again, even when, even we're going through a series right now, the gospel changes everything. And to say, hey, right. I just got invited to go to this, you know, this uh, group for um, in the community uh, in, at the creator space of just kind of bringing the community together. And, and we're going to be walking through these issues. And I would be a fool to go to that community as they're saying, hey, and they're trying to get ideas. And for me, just to immediately stand up and say, but you all need Jesus, right? And just and just keep it right there. Now, is that true? Yes, because I believe the gospel changes everything, but there's more things going on. And we've used this language of like, it's not just the gospel door. I want them all to go through that gospel door, but there's also a path. And I can lead them to that door when I'm walking down the path the right way. And when I'm actually showing them, hey, this is what, but I can't speak into some of these communities because I don't get it. I don't know it. I don't know what it's like to be homeless. I've never even once had to think about being homeless. Um, and, and if, and if, and if I lost my job, my wife lost her job and we couldn't pay for this house, I've got about 40 people I could call and say, Hey, can I live in your house? You know what I mean? Like I've never had to worry about that. Not even close. And I could immediately get jobs from my other wealthy families just, just to say, and, and family members just to get a job. I, it's just, I can't speak into that. And so I've got to learn. I've got to even just on that level, listen and, and learn. So. All right, and then we're going to move on to then, obviously, we've been talking about the awareness, the, um, oh, brother. Relationships. relationships. We've been talking about awareness, uh, relationships, and we've also then, we're going to be moving into uh, commitment. And, and again, this is going to be one that's going to take some time. And so we're not going to, we're not going to rush in anything here. Uh, we are going to make sure that we find the right partner ministries. Uh, this doesn't, like we've been talking about, this isn't like a, would you call it a paternal thing, right? That we're just going to, hey, we know the answers, we're going to come in here and fix this thing. Is that what you're talking, is that what you mean? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, paternalism is, you know, taking the posture of being like, I'm somehow superior and these, you know, lesser little beings need mm -hmm. my help. So it's that, that savior complex. We don't yeah. want to do that. No. We also don't want to come in. You know, fools fools rush in blindly. We don't want to just come in and be like, I know what to do when yep. we don't know the lay of land and we don't know the terrain and the situation. Right. right. Yep. And that and that takes time. And that takes time on a, on a lot of different areas. But one is just these ministries need to get to know us. Uh, are we for real? Are we actually going to take the time that it, that it takes? Are we going to become more aware of our own issues and and repent and and move on and, and then let them see those changes in us so that they can say, oh. This person actually does want to partner with me as an equal, as a brother, um, and and not as uh, someone just trying to help me and and uh, take care of their own little problems. So, and and as we think about commitment, 
Uh, sorry, Brian, I feel like I almost no, no, cut no, you no, off no, right good. there. Nope. Uh, as, as we think about commitment, I think um, we can think about it in terms of being an incomplete discipleship. So the gospel needs to invade and pervade all areas of our lives, and we can't partition it off. And so when we think about that, you know, we, we talked about compassion and conviction in the last podcast. And so we need to be committed to bring biblical values to the political sphere, but we need to be committed to bringing biblical values to all spheres of our life. And so this commitment specifically in the political sphere means that we need to take the Bible's words to heart about how we are supposed to care for the marginalized, how we treat the foreigner and the widow, how we seek justice, love, mercy, and walk humbly. So the the Bible and our, our highest authority is God's word. It impacts our lives. It invades our lives. And then we vote our conscience because God's word is shaping and molding us and leading and guiding us and directing us in a certain way. So we're not telling you who to vote for. We're just telling you that when you engage civically, you vote your conscience and your conscience is shaped by our highest authority, which is God's word and God's word, you know, overflows into how you engage in that realm. Yeah, yeah, that's really well said. And that's just to close, as we think about uh, awareness, relationships, commitment, everywhere we've been on this discussion, uh, again, why do we do it? Why be aware? Why continually gain awareness? Why, why be receptive? Why learn like an adult? Why be in relationship with others? Why pursue integrated relationships? Why have a commitment as a body to justice and as individuals to justice? And we go back again to that Matthew 25 passage, and we realize, why do it? Because of Jesus and what he's done for us. Because when we read that Matthew 25 passage, we realize, who were we? We were the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, imprisoned in sin in this corrupt world. And Christ visited us. He healed us. He fed us. He clothed us. He freed us from sin. He took our penalty on the cross so that we now can live justly in a restored relationship with God. And as, as Josh said, with God's word as our highest authority now, we actually become righteous. And we live it out to the point where we don't even realize we're doing it. We've just taken it on, and now we're doing justice in the world. And so that's why, because of Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. That's great. So again, just to just to remind you all, feel free to shoot us the questions. Again, my email is brian, uh, B-R-I-A-N at hopecc.com. Uh, feel free to shoot me an email with any questions, comments. And again, hey, uh, hopefully we're coming across as gracious, gracious and grace-filled um, and knowing that we don't have all the answers. And so I hope you understand that. And at the same time, um, that if, when you, when you, when I get an email from you, uh, be gracious, whatever it may be. Uh, I love you and I want to shepherd you well, and I want to grow in this together with you. And so just wanted to throw that out there, but again, everything's welcome. So I want, I really, and, and there'll probably be about, uh, just a couple weeks, uh, to be able to get a question in for that. Um, they can keep coming and I'll, I can reply to you individually, but, um, just know. So if you're listening to this podcast in 2021, mm, sorry, too late, uh, not happening, but you can still email me. I'll email you back probably. Uh, or it'll we'll go to my spam box. Not sure. Just kidding. All right. So again, guys, thanks for for being here, Josh and Paul. Appreciate you. We're going to be uh, on the next episode. We're actually going to spend some time just walking through a passage of scripture. Uh, we're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan. There is so much there uh, when we talk about this idea of everything of of racial solidarity and specifically uh, in our context at, at, at Lower Town. And so, thanks for being with us, everyone. And and uh, hope you can join us for the next one. Thanks again for joining me today on Sunday Rewind. I hope it was informative, 
as well as helpful in your everyday life as you pursue your walk with Jesus as Lord.